We're still trying to sort out everything that came through in the lame duck session of the legislature, which ended after 3 a.m. today. But we do know of certain things that did happen, and we'll be talking about them on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston, and Lisa Garvin. Before we begin, one last plug. If you haven't filled out our survey, go to cleveland.com slash today. Share your thoughts with us. It won't take but a minute. Let's begin. So the lame duck folks went late. I mean, I said after 3 a.m., they wrapped it all up, but they didn't do as much, it seems, as previous lame duck sessions. We're not sure of that because there was a flurry and we're trying to figure it out. But Laura, what do we know? We know that some of the big things that we've been talking about for a long time, like the voter ID law that we've talked about on this podcast before, that is now headed to the governor's desk. Um, A criminal justice bill that I didn't know too much about, but it's a big reform bill, that passed. They added measures to toughen penalties for distracted driving, aggravated vehicular homicide, but they reduced the penalty for underage drinking and I believe having marijuana paraphernalia, also banning fertility doctors from using their own sperm to impregnate patients without consent. What's amazing about that is that has to be a law. (laughs) You would just think that's right from wrong, right? I mean, that's basically sex abuse, and and yet we have to codify it. Let's go back to the voting thing before we skip over it. We should go through these one by one. The, The one thing in all the voting rules that I'm very happy to see, although there might be disagreement among the the participants here, was a ban on the August special elections. I've always felt that was a scam, but largely used by school districts to slip through tax Mm -hmm. increases that have been rejected by others when when nobody's around to vote. I mean, August is not a time where the public is focusing on the news. And I've always thought that is a bad Ohio thing. I was glad to see that. They did other things. They they set the rules on drop boxes and, yeah. and, and others. One per county and eliminating the day of early in-person voting the day before election day. Also, I believe you have to request, uh, you have to, to, to get the right to vote 10 days before uh, the voting starts early rather than three. So you have to be a little more less of a procrastinator to yeah. do that. I, I don't, I, none of this, I know that there's lots of yelling back and forth. None of this stuff feels horribly offensive. I mean, if you wait until the Monday before election day, what's the harm of going to the polls on election day? The the sad thing about the drop boxes, we never talked about drop boxes before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The drop boxes were a creation of the pandemic because we were all scared to death. If we went to voting places, we'd get sick. So also we didn't trust the mail because delays were insane. Yeah, right. Right. It was falling apart. So to have the freedom to deal with that was a good thing. And what the legislature has now done is lock that out. We don't know what the next crisis will bring. Nobody knew about the pandemic and how it would affect voting. We even canceled the election out of a out of a concern for health. So it's disappointing that they're locking that down. The secretary of state should have the ability to set special rules in crisis conditions, and they've they've chopped that in half. The big one, of course, is the the photo ID, which we talked about yesterday. They've now 
created kind of a loophole if you know you're yeah, trying vote to, by mail you don't have to have your id you don't have to do it <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll get a lot more people voting by mail yeah and and, and yeah it's just strange but, anyway all right moving on let's talk more about some what some of the other criminal justice ones that got through the, the underage dry, drinking what, what was did anybody speak to why they want to make that a lesser crime i don't know i would have thought that would be something that you would increase penalties for but maybe they're saying they don't want people to be punish for the rest of their lives. But- well, Lisa, you remember a time where when teenagers would go out and drink and a cop would stop them, there was no criminal charge. They'd take them home to mom and dad and say, hey, we caught your kid drinking and they'd lead mom and dad to do it. The fact that it's criminalized now, doesn't that seem a little bit over the top to you? It seems like a solution in search of a problem to me. And quite honestly, I'm much more worried about people looking at their cell phones and drinking behind the wheel, you know, but I, of course, remember Ohio had three, two beer. You couldn't even drink, you know, full (laughs) beer until you were 21 years old. Um, So that's actually, that seems like enlightened. Let's reduce the stigma. Let's reduce the crime. What else? A lot of it seems enlightening, like um, decriminalizing fentanyl test strips. And uh, the marijuana thing I mentioned, you can increase the time inmates can earn off their prison sentences if they participate in education, job training, drug treatment, or other programs. It names strangulation as a specific felony offense, which I'm surprised that didn't happen again uh, earlier. And it closes a loophole within Ohio's mandatory elder abuse reporting laws. So a lot of things that on their face, and I haven't gone deep in this, make a lot of sense. Yeah, I look, we... We've said quite a few ugly things about Matt Huffman and Bob Cup, the Senate president and the House speaker, largely because of their abject failure to follow the Constitution when it came to redistricting, joking that we'd like to see him in orange jumpsuits for defying the Supreme Court. But I cannot remember a lame duck session that was that was where you're pleasantly surprised well, rather than just absolutely horrified look it that they're the leaders and we we're not waking up to egregious abuses of power this morning and and again, we have to sort more of this out. We may have a completely different story to tell tomorrow. Yeah, but that's what I'm sitting here thinking. No, I, I actually <laughs> we're gonna find something there, there might be something. I think the fact that they stopped the constitutional amendment, changes where we reduce the power of the vote oh, yeah. is a good sign. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, look, Huffman has said repeatedly they're trying to, to, to do true leadership. And if you take away uh, the, the, the redistricting and you look at this, I, I don't know, compared to previous years, this does not seem offensive. I, you can debate the voter laws, but it's a debate. There's two sides to that. It's not something that you're just throwing the flag. It's not like declaring natural gas. Green oh energy. No, they let us talk about that for a week. One thing they did that I didn't see coming is they passed a bill that prohibits cities, obviously, which tend to be more democratic from passing stricter tobacco laws than those at the state level, kind of following the gun control debate. Yeah. And- why? Right, because Columbus had just passed an ordinance prohibiting the sale of flavored tobacco within city limits. Which the flavored tobacco is a huge problem Mm -hmm. to get underage Mm -hmm. people hooked. But so are they just getting bought off by the tobacco lobby? It seems like. Really, Chris, would you think that our state legislatures would do that? (laughs) 
<laughs> I just, that's a dumb one. I don't know why you'd be on the side of youth addiction to nicotine. That, I mean, I, that, that one just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe, just maybe, Mike DeWine, who doesn't ever have to run for re-election again, will do the wise thing and veto it. That's a good point. One also thing I didn't see coming, the House did this as of 3.30 this morning, so I'm not sure where it stands in the Senate, but that it would allow the county, Cuyahoga County, to renew its 34.5 cent per pack cigarette tax. That's due to expire in 2024. Or they can replace it with a new tax of up to 50 cents per pack. That goes to the Cuyahoga Arts and Culture Organization, which then doles it out to a bunch of arts organizations around the county. Well, the the drop in cigarette smoking has hurt that tax. And there's been talk Mm -hmm. for years about are there other sins they could go after when vaping was getting big. That's been kind of regulated in the past year or two. But when that was getting big, the talk was about expanding. So they just need to legalize recreational marijuana, man. And then they could tax that, tax the heck out of that. That's 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 your new syntax. There you go. Okay, good stuff. We will be talking about this again tomorrow. We hear from our statehouse editor that there was a $6 billion spending bill approved. We're trying to figure out what all that went for. Part of it might have gone to Progressive Field. It's today in Ohio. Ohio State University keeps squirming to get out of accountability for Richard Strauss's years of sexual abuse, but it might be running out of options. Lisa, what's the latest ruling that could lead to victims having their day in court? The Sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled this week to deny a motion from Ohio State for a second review of an earlier decision that reinstated hundreds of sexual abuse lawsuits that were filed back in 2020. Um, you know, they ruled that, you know, this review is unnecessary given the previous reinstatement ruling. OSU sought this review from all 16 of the circuit court judges. So now the case returns to district court where it can go forward unless OSU appeals. Um, uh, Spokesman Benjamin Johnson says, OSU might appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they're reviewing the decision right now and they have no further comment. Uh, Plaintiff's attorney Scott Smith says his clients are elated. They are one step closer to holding OSU accountable for the cover-up of sexual abuse by Dr. Richard Strauss going from the 1970s to the 1990s. And of course, he died in 2005. So let's step back through the history of this a little bit. In 2018, there was a review by Ohio State that found that administrators knew of the sexual abuse but failed to act. In 2021, federal judge Michael Watson ruled that the statute of limitations, which is two years, had lapsed, and he dismissed all the cases. But this appeals court reinstated the cases back in September. They said, they think that the statute of limitations began when OSU released their report in 2018 because they say victims couldn't have known of the cover-up before then. So that set the new, you know, start date of of 2020. I I don't know why. Clearly, Ohio State is culpable here. This went on for years. There were signs of it. Why not settle with these folks and just apologize? Why fight and fight and fight? You're on the wrong side. You're you're on the injustice side. Just do the right thing. Settle with these folks. You you are in the wrong and say I'm sorry. And there were there were a couple of dissenters here, and both of them were Trump appointees. So uh, Judge Chad Riedler said that Congress is the one that should pass a new law to extend Title IX appeal you know protections, and he said that the appeals court 
overrode Ohio statute of limitations laws improperly and dismissed Supreme Court precedents. And Amal Thapar, he said that in the dissent, he said he would have granted a hearing due to tension. I don't know what this means. Tension between Sixth Circuit and SCOTUS precedent on Title IX protections. Well, I can't imagine they won't appeal because they're going to have a very friendly Ohio Supreme Court based on the recent election. We'll see. It's today in Ohio. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb won as a change agent, and one of the things he changed right away was the structure of his cabinet. One year in, Layla, he is shaking it up again. How is he structuring his leadership team in the new year? Well, so at the beginning, one of the ways it seemed that Justin Bibb would be approaching his job differently than any other mayor before him was that he was thinking about City Hall as a business that needed to run more efficiently. And I think that really meant bringing the the vernacular of the business world into City Hall and also structuring his cabinet to reflect that philosophy. So he decided not to have a traditional chief of staff. Instead, the duties that normally would fall to a chief of staff were divided between two of his top aides with job titles that were really straight from the business world. There was Chief Administrative Officer Elise Hera Avil and Chief Strategy Officer Bradford Davey. Davey was in charge of keeping an eye on on the big picture and making sure that Bibb achieved his policy and governing priorities. And then Hera Avil was, was overseeing and managing the daily operations of the mayor's office and all the city departments. But now Hera Avil is resigning, and it's it's kind of unclear why, but that leaves Bradford Davey to pick up her duties, and he, in the new year, is going to take the traditional role of chief of staff. That's that's going to be his new title. Ryan Puente, who, is Bibbs, who was Bibb's uh, campaign manager when he was running for mayor, um, has served as chief government affairs officer since the beginning of Bibb's term, and he's going to become the deputy chief of staff under Davey. Puente is also going to continue to serve as as Bibb's liaison to city council, state and federal government, and other outside groups, but he's going to play that double role. In, in a news release, the city said that as a result of these changes, the city can expect increased coordination, more efficient decision-making, and streamlined communication internally and externally. So it's it's unclear if they're intimating that Hera Oval was standing in the way of accomplishing those things or if this, you know, it was the structure that wasn't working. Look, Either way, it's they're kind of reverting to the more traditional uh, set up. Yeah, I I don't see this as a failing. If you'll recall, when we started our new newsroom about 10 years ago to try and rock it into the digital age, we changed a lot of things right off the bat to make clear that it's a new day. And a lot of it didn't work that well. We learned a lot, which is what you do is you're changing things. So the fact that he walked in the door and said, I'm changing everything up, it was an announcement that things are different. I'm not surprised that after a year he's learned that didn't work so well. There are reasons you do things in a traditional way because tradition often bubbles up some best practices. Uh, The one thing I'm surprised at here is I still don't feel like he has anybody in that administration with the jaundiced eye of history. So if you want to be a change agent, you have to know what you're changing. And I don't Mm -hmm. get the sense there's anybody in that cabinet that understands what's happened in the past. That's bitten him several times this year, his snowplow debacle. And, you know, when he changed the leaf collection policy for a day before people screamed and he changed it back. 
one veteran who knows the past whispering in his ear, even if he wants to disagree with it, would just help him, I think, make better decisions. And I don't see that here. Do you? Yeah. I, no, not at all. And, and and actually, you know, Hera Avil was one of the very few members of his cabinet who had any kind of local government, you know, experience, really. She, she worked uh, as the human resources director for Cuyahoga County. She was the human resources manager for the city of Westlake and associate counsel for the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority and other jobs like that. But, you know, now she's she's gone. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's the jaundiced eye that we need, uh, you know, at his side. But uh, but at least she had some sense of local government, how it functions. <laughs> I also feel like they could he should get a better communications manager, quite honestly. Oh. I mean, to learn to get in front of stories. I mean, the snowplow story broke like a week after he took office, didn't handle it very well. And I just, he needs a seasoned communications staff too. 100%. I, actually, I was talking to Courtney Astolfi, our city hall reporter yesterday, and she thinks there's actually progress that's going to be made there. And look, I, I, I don't know Bradford Davey. I've talked to him maybe twice. I don't think I've ever talked to Ryan Puente, but I've heard really good things about these guys. So uh, yeah, this, this may be a change that very much is needed to continue to move forward. Uh, the first year of a new mayor is a big learning experience. And the best thing you see is if you see mistakes, you fix them and you try and change. If he would have stuck by his guns with a failing system, that would be worse. It's today in Ohio. A lot of places identify themselves by their area codes. Didn't the Cavaliers have a big campaign a few years back based on the 216 area code for Cleveland and the suburbs? It's a big deal when we get a new one. Laura, which area of Northeast Ohio is running out of phone numbers, necessitating an additional area code, even though we don't know what it is yet? Right. It's the 440. So the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, this is the PUCO, they approved this plan to overlay the new area code over the existing code. That's expected to run out of numbers in the third quarter of 2024. And all everyone who's already got a 440 number, they get to keep that. We don't know what the new number will be like yet. But you're right. I think this is an identity thing. Generally, 216 is Cleveland and 440 is the suburbs, especially the western suburbs. But the Botanical Gardens Winter Holiday Gingerbread Exhibit is called Twinkle in the 216. So I do think that people really hold on to this. And as an example, I think I grew up in Summit County, right, which I didn't even realize didn't get its own area code of 330 until 1996. It was the first new one since 1947. I remember it. That's how okay. long I've been around. Um, so yeah, so the 440 was con actually created one year later in 1997. But now there, since 2000, I think there has been another code in Akron. I couldn't even tell you what it was. I had to look it up. 234. Would you have known that? No, I also do wonder, though, in the age of the cell phone, where if you move, you keep your number mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. everybody who knows mm -hmm. you knows it, whether it matters as much. I know a lot of people who've moved to Cleveland who don't have any of the, the Cleveland area codes, and I don't think it matters. I think you have contacts in your phone. You don't even know what the numbers are anymore. Yeah, it, but I, I understand that, the, you know, using the numbers, you know, in Houston, 713, and I'm a proud owner of a 713 <laughs> number. I mean, and they have they have four or five area codes because it's such a big city. But, I mean, I'm proud to be in the 713. 
It tells you how long you've lived there, right? Right. Like, because you've been, you were like an original. I, I do think there is some identity. I think Chris is right. People move around a lot. They don't change their cell phone numbers. But when we get a new reporter or an editor and they get a cell phone, we make sure they get an area code that matches what they're covering. That, because I do yeah. think some people pay attention to that. That's true. If you get if you get a call from an unknown number and it's got some wackadoo area code, you, you're not answering it. Although, let's face it, if you get a call from a number that's not in your contacts, you shouldn't answer it anyway. But it's really funny because, you know, I still have the the numbers memorized of my friends from high school, right? I can tell you what they are. I couldn't tell you what my right. kids' Does that surprise anybody on this podcast? <laughs> no. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, so I, I don't know. I think there is something to that. Of, of people and ownership. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what this comes. But think about how many numbers this is. 792 possible prefixes in each area code. Each has 10,000 numbers. So, I mean, I checked my math. I think that's 7.9 million numbers, right? Is that, am I off on my, no, my math what, there? What, but what it's what a I lot of numbers. What I don't get is we're, 440 started since I've been in Cleveland, but 216 goes way, way back before. Mm-hmm. How right. have we not run out of numbers in 216? Well, I guess maybe we got the 440 early enough that it didn't just overlay 216, right? It separated Cleveland and the inner ring from the outer ring suburbs. Yeah. I'm not sure how long Sandusky's been 419, but I, oh, I, I, do know what I want to say. When I was a kid, you'd know where people were calling from, which city, just by the, not the area code, but the next three numbers, right? Like if you were yeah. 666, mm-hmm. it'd be Bath. I couldn't tell you what Rocky River's prefix is because I, I don't know. Right, like, right. That's kind of gone. All right. Cool story. It's today in Ohio. Legal sports gambling does not start in Ohio until January 1st, but we already have a sports book facing a stiff fine for violating the rules. Lisa, who is it? What are they accused of? It's Barstool Sportsbook of Toledo, and they face a fine of up to $250,000 in connection with a live event that they held outside the University of Toledo Stadium on November 15th. It drew about 1,000 people. And the charges here are that they were advertising on or near a college campus, which is a violation, and also targeting customers under the age of 21. The Ohio Casino Control Commission issued that violation notice to Penn Entertainment, which owns Barstool Sportsbook. They also own Hollywood Casinos in Toledo and Columbus. They Penn Entertainment spokespeople say they will request a hearing. Otherwise, they have no comment. They do have 30 days to request that, you know, appeal or hearing. So, yeah, it looks like they're jumping the gun. And I'm telling you, my TV is flooded, flooded with, you know, sportsbook ads. It's amazing. Yeah, actually, and we have a partnership with a sports betting firm because we're getting some revenue from the same kind of thing. Look, there's so many predictions about how big a business this is going to be in Ohio, and the competition is fierce. As you say, Lisa, anybody who watches television or listens to the radio sees a bombardment of these ads. So it's not surprising that that you might have firms looking for a shortcut, Mm -hmm. but you really can't take shortcuts when it comes to gambling because bad things can happen. I'm impressed by how fast the state landed on this to try and keep it straight. That That's very much needed in Ohio. We've got to make sure this whole process isn't corrupted. So I'm, you know, we complain about the, the unemployment office and all sorts of things in this state. But the fact that they jumped on this fast is a good sign. 
And it is, and it's actually kind of, and it's a learning curve for everybody. This is new in Ohio. So I think that, you know, Barstool got slapped, but I think it's an object lesson for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else is going to be going, oh, I better follow the law. It's today in Ohio. We're going to have a bit of a disagreement on this next story, but let's get to what the news is about. Laura, why is it so significant that a bobcat has been sighted likely in Cuyahoga County? Layla, Layla right? sorry, Layla. <laughs> the L.A. women, it gets confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to throw it to you. <laughs> so Cleveland Metro Parks uh, said in, in a recent Facebook post that, that images of a bobcat were taken on July 9th and October 6th in a, in a remote area within the park system, which encompasses 25,000 acres. Apparently, this is the first sighting of a bobcat within Cuyahoga County since they were extirpated from the state in 1850. But Metro Parks, they're keeping the Bobcats location a secret for its protection. They're worried that if the location leaks out, people are going to go looking for it. And I mean, we all we know is that the Bobcat images appeared on wildlife camera photos taken of a certain spot in the Metro Parks. And that spot is in some area away from trails and places where people typically go. A park of, official said that he was reviewing the footage after a colleague had asked about bobcats. And sure enough, there were these two images. So this confirmation of the sightings comes just as a hunter shot video of a bobcat that he saw in a summit Metro Parks conservation area where he was participating in a program to control the deer population there. Bobcats live in an area of about 7 to 15 square miles. And so it's not impossible that the summit bobcat is the same one seen on on camera in Cuyahoga, but they actually think that there's more than one of these cats out there. Yeah. Lisa's going to disagree with me in a minute, but I think it's absurd that the Metro Parks, once again, being secretive, they won't even say what side of town. And, and to think that a hunter or somebody can go find it, if you say it's in the North Chagrin Reservation or the South Chagrin Reservation, those things are huge. Bobcats are furtive. I just don't see what the harm is in saying, yeah, it was seen over in such and such a reservation or even on which side of town. It's a big story. Everybody's fascinated with it. But I, it's so amazing to me how often the Metro Parks are the most secret of government we have. And yet people love them, fund them. And so the Metro Parks feel no compulsion to to do the right thing. We'll file a records request because I don't believe Ugh. there's a bobcat exemption in the state law. Oh, come on. Really? Lisa, Are you bet. really going to go that far you to find out betcha. where the bobcat is? Yep. Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> you know, at this, we, this is the first sighting in over a hundred years. You're going to have people trampling through wherever, if they say where it is, people are going to be trampling through these remote areas, trying to find it, trying to get an Instagram photo of it or something. And if you don't think hunters are going to try and get one, get a trophy in a Metro park, then No. Of course they will try, <laughs> even though it's illegal. Of course they're going to try. It's just like when they found the oldest tree in the world. It's like like a million years old. They're not going to tell anybody where it is because they're going to cut a piece off of it. You know, we have to protect these endangered animals from crazy humans wanting to do things. So, yeah, I think being secret was the right thing to do. We gave a presentation about to Today in Ohio to some of our colleagues yesterday and boasted proudly about the disagreements that we have on the podcast <laughs> 
here's a great example. I, I just want to jump into, I'm with Lisa on this. I think people would go looking for the Bobcat. Absolutely. And it's, you know, similar to how we decide, you know, whether we're going to cover certain stories. It, the question is, is is the the harm to one party greater than the the benefit of mm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that in this case, what's the benefit of outing the location of this bobcat? I, I mean, it's not a public, it, it, the bobcat doesn't pose a hazard to people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, doesn't want anything to do with humans. It's not going to harm people, but people could harm the bobcat. So in this case, I'm erring on the side of, you know, yeah, keep it a secret. And they could damage the park park while they're looking for it, too. I mean, they could blaze new trails in remote areas. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Summit, <clears throat> Summit Metro Parks said last year that there was a bobcat in Furnace Run, which is a pretty, you know, developed area around it. I don't think there's been any. Was there I a run of hunters? Did they go and destroy I, the park in search of it? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't I know think for sure. Summit. I think just saying which park it's in is not a danger to the bobcat. Good disagreement. Good story. It's today in Ohio. Metro Health had a board member who quit in the immediate aftermath of the firing of Akram Boutros as CEO over $2 million in secret bonuses that he gave to himself. Now we know why. Laura. Well, Terry Monolly supports Akram Boutros, but he's actually missed a bunch of meetings, including when they decided all of the discipline against Boutros. So he sent a a resignation letter in November. He said, it's my belief the board had authorized Dr. Boutros to take all the actions that he took to terminate him based on the belief that he would somehow take money from Metro Health in the last month of his term does not sit actually set well with me. S.E.T. So that's a. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's Akram Boutros's contention is that the, the board gave him the authority to run the bonus program. And in running that bonus program, which he oversees bonuses for the people under him, he gave himself over five years, just under two million dollars that the board didn't know about. He reviewed himself. He defined his own standards. He gave his own himself his own reviews, gave him the money. Um, this this guy, though, was not part of the discussion mm-hmm. by the board in general when they discovered this and were stunned to hear that he had taken that money. Right. He missed the four previous meetings before that meeting, too. So uh, they did sit on they had a meeting Wednesday and they passed a resolution thanking Monolly for his years of service. He's actually been a board member since 2005. He would have served until 2028. And so they expressed appreciation for his work. But at this point, he's saying, I disagree with the board. I don't have great health, so I just don't want to be in this position. Yeah, I got to tell you, I can't imagine being a board member and learning of this and not being aghast. I I just cannot imagine somebody who's in this role not feeling the betrayal that we're hearing from the board because they trusted him. Mm -hmm. So this this guy's an outlier, but it's kind of shocking that he's okay with what happened. Obviously, he's a huge believer in Boutros and, you know, he's fighting back. He's filed a a lawsuit in common police court. So if you have that much faith, maybe you have to think that this this can't be. He wouldn't have done this. Okay, it's today in Ohio. We're done for Thursday. We didn't get to everything. We'll bring it back tomorrow. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening. 